You are listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast from Freedom Fellowship Church in Tontytown, Arkansas. Our mission is to love God, love others, and serve both. And now let's listen in to this week's sermon. Well, good morning. A little later, uh, as we close our service, uh, we're going to sing a song. It's called Red Letters. And Red Letters was written by a singer-songwriter named David Crowder. He's one of my favorites, but um, he reflects on writing that story or this song. And he said that he was sitting in church with his grandmother and, and he noticed that she had her Bible open and he asked her, he said, so what are the, why is all that stuff in red? And she made the statement. She said, well, she said the red letter edition is whenever Jesus, God's only son spoke, it's written in red. And that was enough for him at the time, but he decided a little later that what he wanted to do was explore what that was. There was a guy in the late 1800s named Louis Kloppish, and uh, he was trying to think about how do you communicate to the common reader? Maybe, Maybe not all the scholars and the skilled people, but how do you communicate to the common reader? And he was reading in uh, Luke 22, verse 20, And it said that the cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. And at that time when he read that, he thought, why? Because blood and and the cleansing power of blood, why wouldn't that be in red? And so he put that in red, and then he and some of the other friends of his decided that was so impactful. Why wouldn't we just do that for everything that Jesus said in the Bible? And even the things in the Old Testament that pointed toward Jesus, the Messiah. So that becomes the basis for what he did. As he took that and he he made those quotes being read today. Now, if you happen to have a red letter edition, some of you will. Some of you are are using your online phones. But if you happen to have a red letter edition, our verses today, we're going to cover about 25 verses. We're going to move pretty fast. But there only a few lines are not in red. So you say, well, what does that mean to me? It means that this part of Luke 12 is literally what Jesus was saying. This is the things that are coming out of his mouth that he gives instruction. Now, I'm going to warn you that today's teaching is serious. You know, when you preach, you kind of like to do things that are kind of fun sometimes, and they have this application. And, but the reality of what we talk about today is because it is, it's, a, it's of a very serious nature. And, you know, I can't even dress it up and make it not be serious. But this is where we've come to. This is the part, and we can't gloss over the fact that when Jesus, in his words, gives us stern warning, guess what? It's important for us to pay attention. Justin's going to put a picture up here for us. Most of you will recognize it. You've seen this picture probably for those of you that watch any news at all. This is a picture of the partial collapse that happened around 1.15 in the morning on June 24th at the Champlain Tower South Condominium in Surfside. Surfside's about six miles north of Miami Beach, and approximately 55 units of the 136 collapsed with no notice. Since then, hundreds of responders have carefully been combing through the remains of that for what has now become a recovery mission that's there. See, I don't know about you, but 
in my nature, I tend to be a procrastinator. I tend to think that, well, you know, I've got this stuff on my list, and what I can do is, well, you know, I can probably just get around to that later, and my list is pretty long of the stuff that I want to get around to later. So as we begin our study today, we're in Luke 12, verse 35. The header over the section of the Bible is called, in mine, is called watchfulness. You know, it kind of gives you a little header about what kind of the topic matter. And mine, the header on that, at starting at 1235, is watchfulness. It's curious to me uh, that, at least for many Americans, that many Americans see their faith as, and I'll get around to it later kind of a faith. You know, faith is important, but I got all this non-churchy stuff going on in my life, and you know, the reality is I gotta figure out how to set my priorities, and well, frankly, a good share of the time, the non-churchy stuff pushes out my faith. Many don't see faith in Jesus and salvation. They don't really see it with a lot of immediacy. They don't see it that way. And some, frankly, they, they, they don't even look at it. It's not immediate to them because it's not even on their mind about what will happen one day. Many think their faith is kind of like I was when I was in school and in a high school and college. You know, you have a test date. You know, you're going to have this test at in whatever third hour or three o'clock or whatever it is on a Tuesday. And, and my nature was, is I kind of ran hard all the way up to it. And then at the very last minute, I just try to cram as much knowledge I was that I could in there and then try to save myself at the last minute. Anybody else guilty of that? You can, you can raise your, no, yeah, one, okay, Daniel is, all right, got a couple. And see, I'm pretty guilty of doing that. But when we see the study today, and it's going to be in these red letters we talked about in Jesus' words, what he's going to be telling us, he's, saying, he's going to talk about being ready. And what we're going to do is we're going to start at 12, verse 35, and then, yes, I'll come back and circle back to talk about Surfside, Florida again in just a little bit as we go. So verse 35, chapter 12, are you ready? You can also, of course, find that in your Uversion app. If you're not familiar with it, we'll coach you through that at another time, but it's easy and it has a lot of the sermon notes as well as the verses in it. This is where it starts, 35. Be dressed ready for service and keep your lamps burning. Now, literally, in those days, you needed a lamp in your household. If you're going to come in in the dark, you needed a lamp. You needed something to be able to see. But scripture also tells us in Psalms 119 when it talks about the lamp, it says the lamp, the, the word, God's word, is a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. So be dressed ready for service and keep you, and I'm going to substitute the word here or put along as a, as a defining word, keep your spiritual lamps burning like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet. So that when he comes and knocks, you can immediately, immediately open the door for him. It would be good for those servants, those servants whose master finds him watching, ready and waiting, when he comes. Truly I tell you that he will dress himself up. So we're talking about the master now that's coming and he's knocking on the door. And he, he, as he steps in, 
And what it says, truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. Now, if you have the King James Version or something like that, a lot of times with the words it uses, it talks about girding themselves. So here we have, we have the master in this word picture returning to the home and he's girding himself. You may recall that, that what they had back then were kind of ankle length garments. And so what they would do is they had this fancy way of taking that ankle length garment and tucking it up around their legs and stuff, almost like this length we would have for shorts. And they did that because think about trying to work in an ankle length garment. So when they were doing something like that, they were going to be doing some labor, then they would gird themselves, they would pull that up to make themselves be ready. And it's saying that truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve. He will have his guests then recline at the table and will come and wait on them. So what's being described here is he's talking about this master, which we know to be the Lord. He's talking about this master, and he's saying, now he's going to reverse roles. If you think about what happened at the time, the, the Jews and many of the people at the time, they were looking for this king, right? They needed to be rescued from the Romans. They were looking for a literal king. And he came as what? He came as a servant. And so what that's explaining to us is that the roles are going to reverse because when the master came home, he surprised them because what he did was is he put on his working clothes and said, let me serve you, who are typically the servants. In 38, it'll be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Even if he comes to the middle of the night or toward daybreak, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, and of course most of us realize if you're a thief, you don't announce it, you don't send an invitation or anything, you're going to just come quietly, stealthily, and break in. If the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man, which is Jesus, the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now, the people of Surfside, Florida, in that condominium, when they went to bed on the 23rd or early on the 24th, did not expect what would happen to them at 1.14 a.m. when that building suddenly pancaked down and collapsed. Neither will you or I know the exact when. We won't know when the exact when of when Jesus is going to return. We most often won't even know the when of what our departure from this earth for us personally will be. Now, many have prognosticated, you know, I, I recall when Karen and I, we, when we lived in Texas and we had these friends from Missouri and they called and said, hey, can we drop by? I hadn't seen them in a long time. We thought it was a great thing. They were, they were just in route somewhere. But as they did that and they went through this process, they, we, we sat out on the patio and we talked and, and they told us that the reason they stopped is they knew when the end time was, when the curtain was going to fall. And they said, we love you guys like family, and the last thing we want you to, to, to miss is we want you to know that on a certain date at a certain time, this is exactly when Jesus is coming back. Be ready. Now, they were giving us a good word, be ready. But Scripture says that we don't know those things. What we do know from the signs is we know that the end times are closer, right? You'd agree with that? We know they're closer because we see prophecy being fulfilled. 
But scripture says, even to the prognosticators, you won't know the day and you won't know the hour. Jesus continues with this theme because what he's been teaching these disciples and those that were close enough to listen, what he was teaching them was about this kingdom of heaven. And what he was saying is that don't spend so much time worrying about all your worldly stuff. Don't be so worldly minded, but be heavenly minded. And he continues this theme. In verse 41, Peter asked him, he said, Lord, are you telling this parable to us? Or are you telling this to everyone? Because there were the other people listening to the message. And the Lord answered, who then, he had a great way of sidestepping stuff, by the way. As a parent, it would be a good thing for you to learn if you don't already know it. You know, you get that direct question and, and you say, oh, this is a great time for me to try to educate you a little bit while I have your attention. And the Lord answered him, who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. Who's going to do that? It'll be good for that servant when the master finds him doing so when he returns. Now, he didn't tell the disciples in, in, in this quotation. He didn't tell them this is for you, but it's, it, but it's obviously for them. But it doesn't take you long when you read this to realize that God's word and these things that are being written sure has application for us too in our leadership roles, in our families, wherever it is. He goes on in 44 and he said, Truly I tell you that he will will put him in charge. He's talking about this faithful, this wise servant. He will put them in charge of all of his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, My master is taking a long time in coming. And then he begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and to get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. Remember, you're hearing that same thing, when you're not expecting him, at an hour that he's not aware of. He will cut him into pieces and he will assign him to a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. I want to read that again because this is, to me, is kind of a complex thing, but it does talk a little bit about, about our rewards and so on. The servant who knows the master's will knows the right thing to do and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does not and does things deserving punishment will be bit will be beaten with few blows. Now, one of the things we can read other places: if if you have no knowledge, if you're ignorant, the standard that you're judged by is a different standard. Now, fewer and fewer people, because of technology, really fall into that ignorant group but a lot of us may perhaps decide that we can shove it off, push it away. Go on here from there. From from everyone who has been given much, or for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. You know, I think that's why it's an American nation that we're called on so many times to do things, because we're a nation that's been given a lot. And so it's expected that we do much, but it's also the same thing for us as believers. I expect the disciples are like me sometimes. They'd really like for Jesus, when he, when he feels this question, 
just to say, well, okay, it's kind of like this, and just explain it to me, and not make it where I had to scratch my head and read and study and try to say, well, what's he talking about here? I mean, is he talking to me? Is he talking to these other people? And what about this return? But what I've done is, I, as I read through this, I thought, okay, how do I make it a kind of a core phrase that's in this? So I tried to reduce that for me to absorb it. And it's fact that he's saying this, he says, be ready. He's saying, be prepared at all times. Be prepared at all times. Paul told Timothy as he was kind of dispatching him, he said, he said, Timothy, be ready in and out of season. Be ready in and out of season. What a great thing for us to realize is because, you know, when we leave these church doors and we go back out to this mission field that's outside, guess what? A good share of the people out there don't think like you and I think. And so we have to be ready in and out of season to do that. And I wonder about readiness because I was thinking about readiness and I thought, well, I wonder if I could just be like half ready. You know, sometimes I live my life that way that half ready seems like that ought to be good enough. Or perhaps maybe that doesn't make the bar that he's talking about being ready, but maybe I need to be two-thirds ready. Two-thirds ready. I don't just kind of slip into heaven, but I probably get some rewards that Scripture talks about too if I'm like two-thirds ready. You know, but the reality is what we read here that doesn't sound like what these verses sound like. These verses are very plain. It says, be ready, be prepared at all times. He goes on and Jesus has this opportunity and he's got, he's got people critical of him, listening to him, but beyond the ones that are his followers. And he talks about not peace, but division. And, and Jesus has this opportunity, so he... He takes what he's already talking about and he said, I'm going to amplify what I've been telling you. And he goes on in the next verse then, in 49, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. Well, fire typically, when you think about scripture, fire typically is equated to judgment. And so was that what he was talking about? Was he talking about judgment? Because the reality is, if you were looking for condemnation, if you, want to, if you want to refuse to accept Jesus, if you want to harden your heart toward the Holy Spirit, then as a non-believer, or perhaps those Jews at the time that, were, that thought that he was a, a hoax and a, just a con man, he was letting them, he, maybe perhaps he was talking about that. Maybe it's a condemnation. Maybe that was that fire also he was talking about. Or perhaps it was the fire of the Holy Spirit. He's talking about being kindled. Because we know at Pentecost, we know what would happen. He said, I can see him saying, boy, I wish that could be now. And people could catch on fire and we could have thousands saved in a day. Wouldn't that be a great thing? And perhaps that fire was really the spreading of the gospel, just like a prairie fire does on occasion. Perhaps it's all of those things. But what we do know is, that fire most generally was associated with judgment. Now, he goes on and he says this in verse 50. But he said, but I have a baptism 
when we think about baptism, and we got a couple of guys, several in this room that, that were baptized recently, and you know, when we think about baptism, that baptism, we think about water. But what Jesus is describing, he said, I have a baptism, but my baptism is going to be a baptism in agony. He said, I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under, and let me read that a little differently with different emphasis, and what constraint I'm under until it's completed. Do you think I'm coming to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you. And he says, I come because I bring division. From now on, there will be five in the family divided against each other. There'll be three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Some here have families that are that way because we, we want desperately for them to know what we know and to embrace those things, but yet those families are often divided. It seems pretty clear, though, that one of the things that Jesus is telling us is that is a, a, a term that I've heard for a lot of years now, and it's this, you have to go along to get along. We hear politicians basically say the same thing. We hear families say the same thing. You have to go along to get along. It's, it isn't easy, and boy, it's often uncomfortable to be a truth teller, isn't it? If you're a truth teller, often it's not, it's not a comfortable position. Now, I'm not saying as a truth teller, and there are some truth tellers, it seems like that, they, that their goal in life is to pick a fight. That's not the truth I'm talking about. I don't think that's the truth that Scripture talks about. But what it's saying is, is that what we have to do is we have to still be truth tellers in our life. We have to be at what comes out of our mouth, and we have to be truth tellers in our lifestyle and in what people see in our body language, our actions. And I'll tell you too that it isn't a compliment to be called brutally honest. Some people see that as, and I've told this before, but we years ago in another job, we traveled around, we did a lot of hiring and people would tell us in these sales positions we were interviewing for, they'd often tell us that they're really, I'm really brutally honest because, you know, they're thinking, okay, they want to know that. They want to know I'm really an honest person. They would use that same term. I'm, I'm brutally honest. And the guy that traveled with me a lot, he had a great line. He'd always say, well, would you see yourself as more brutal or more honest? And I thought, well, what a great thing. Because the reality is we're called to be honest. We're called to be truthful. We're called to be truth speakers. But we're not called to be brutal in how we do it. But we are told, don't, don't just go along to get along. He goes on in 54 then, and he said to the crowd, he said, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately, and this has to do, it's really kind of the same as ours, but if you knew that particular terrain about where he was at, those directions that he's going to talk about were literally where you would see these things of the weather come from. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you'd say it's going to rain. 
and it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance on the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? I wonder that about us as people and as a nation. I wonder if we see these signs and we have a hard time because he's telling these, these guys listening to him, especially the ones that are there to criticize him, he's saying, listen, you've had prophet after prophet tell you about the Messiah coming. You've had prophet after prophet point to you the signs of the Messiah coming to earth. You can judge the weather, but you're blind to seeing the Messiah. You can judge the weather, but here I am. I stand in front of you, talking to you, and you have no idea who I am. Then he goes on, why don't you judge for yourself what is right? Are you going with the adversary to the magistrate? Well, try hard to be reconciled in that way. Or your adversary may drag you off to the judge, and the judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you that you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. We started by talking about it. it's, it's serious because it's a serious lesson. Because what he's saying is he's telling us, he said, you have to understand, and he's telling this crowd, even though it's you got to kind of work through some of it, but he's telling this crowd that there is a great penalty for you to deny God. There's a great penalty if you haven't settled things with the Savior. And you need to do that before judgment. So when we summarize, we think, what are you telling us, Tom? I'm telling you that all of us, me included, it speaks to me when I study this stuff about being ready. Am I ready or am I just half ready or two-thirds ready? Am I really committed? Do I really believe it? Do I let other things crowd things out? Am I a, am I a truth speaker? Am I a truth liver? and the things people see in my life, and the things I speak about. You'll notice when Jesse comes back uh, to lead this last song, it's, that's the red letter song we talked about. And our praise team's going to come back in a moment, and they're going to they're lead us in this song. But I think it's interesting because what Crowder does at three different places through this song, he comes back to this same uh, I'm sure there's a music word for it, but he comes back to this same important line. The first time he says, and I became a free man that day. And then a little later in the song, you'll hear it saying, and I became a free man that day. And then at the very end of it, it says, and I am a free man today. Now, the end result is that you too can be free. If you're sitting here today, or if you're online with us, and you're not free, you're shackled by whatever things. And boy, there's a lot of stuff that can hold us prisoner, right? Because he's, he's going to talk about this song. He's going to talk about being in prison. Well, that's a great metaphor, because it may be that you're locked up behind bars, but the reality is we can be in prison in our mind. We can be in prison by our past. 
We can be imprisoned by what we think other people think. We can be imprisoned because we have these relationships that just don't seem to work and you just, they just don't seem to get it. But the reality for us is what we can be is we have a choice to be free. And we have to realize, where do you find that? Jesus is the one that offers you the choice. And I hope you don't see that as corny because it is truth-telling. Jesus is the choice to you having real freedom. Bow your heads with me as we come to close with this last song. Father, again, we thank you so much that you've given us this opportunity to go through your word. And it's a serious lesson. And sometimes in our mind, we got this other stuff going on. It's hard to hang on to. But Father, the instruction you're giving us is pretty simple instruction. What you're telling us is be ready. Be ready. We be ready by praying, bringing you to the forefront, making you literally the king of kings in our life. You know, you, did, you didn't sign up, Father. You didn't sign up to be a, the sergeant or the first lieutenant or the second lieutenant. You are the, you are the king of kings in our mind and in our heart, Father. And I pray that, that if, if you're here today and you don't have freedom, that you realize freedom is there for the asking. Jesus is available to you. Jesus is available to help you work through that. And you have people on this group, not just your elders, but just your friends and the people that surround you, that care about you and love you, and they want the best for you. Find somebody you can trust. Find somebody that, that you can be honest with and that will keep the confidence. Have that discussion with them. And again, Father, I pray if there's anybody in here today that that know you as Savior, that they'll seek one of us out and have that conversation, Lord. Because we don't want somebody to show up at Judgment Day and say, well, I wish I'd understood. We don't want to be like the people at Surfside when we don't know the day, we don't know the time, we don't know the hour of the day that you'll come back, and we don't know our time. But Father, we pray that we'll be ready for it. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for listening to the Freedom Fellowship audio podcast. We are located at 990 West Henry de Tonti Boulevard in Tontytown, Arkansas. You can check us out on the web at freedomfellowship.com or you can find us on social media by searching Freedom Fellowship NWA. We hope you have a great week and that you live out the mission of the church, which is to love God, love others, and serve both.